Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. So it's now well documented that during the pandemic, there was an event or phenomenon called the Great Resignation. Perhaps you've heard of it. This was a period of time in 2021 when, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, about 47 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs. 47 million was an unprecedented mass exit from the workforce spurred on by COVID-19. And people cited various reasons for this, including low pay, uh, no opportunities for advancement, feeling disrespected at work, childcare issues, perhaps a lack of flexibility to choose when they could put in their hours, or not having good benefits such as health insurance. But the thing that gave them the final push was the pandemic itself and the reevaluation of our lives that it caused so many of us to do. And it even impacted the vocation that I'm in. Yes, late last year, an article came out from the renowned Barna Research Group, which for 30 years have been the go-to source for statistics on faith and culture in America. And it revealed that almost 40%, that's two out of every five pastors, seriously considered quitting full-time ministry since the beginning of 2021. And sadly, many of them did. And it's a quite staggering number if you stop and think about it. And the number that was significantly higher than any other previous year. David Kinnaman, the president of the Barna Group, writes this. We started seeing early warning signs of burnout among pastors before COVID, with initial warning bells sounding in Barna's The State of Pastors study in 2017. Now, after 18 months of the pandemic, along with intense congregational divisions and financial strain, an alarming percentage of pastors is experiencing significant burnout, driving them to seriously consider leaving ministry. Kinnaman concludes that navigating these existential questions of calling and ministry career, uh, ministry career fit are significant and will shape the future of congregational leadership for the future. And I've experienced the truth of this survey just watching it unfold locally. Last month, I read a long article in the Post and Courier, perhaps you saw it, about local pastors who changed vocation during the pandemic. I also have a friend who was a bivocational pastor working both for a church and for just a regular company who left his church during the pandemic and chose to focus on his other career instead. And then just this past work, another good friend of mine left his church after 20 years to return to academia. Now, I'm not saying that these transitions wouldn't have happened without the pandemic, but it certainly seems that the pandemic created a certain level of trauma for pastors, as it did for many others. Navigating the tensions of mask mandates, vaccines, race relations, national elections, as well as seeing church members leave and never return. So much so that many of them reconsidered their calling to shepherd God's people. Well, in our gospel today, we see another group of Jesus followers who've gone through a traumatic and disorienting event and who seem to be reconsidering their calling. Yes, the disciples have witnessed the death of their Lord and Master. Consider how traumatic that must have been. But they've also experienced their own massive failures of betrayal and denial and abandonment and so on, followed by the shock of then meeting him again 
as he is raised from the dead. Therefore, in this moment, they're trying to figure out what to do next. What should they do? And it seems that they're considering a return to their previous vocation as fishermen. And that's really not all that surprising, as we see in the recent survey of pastors, and as you've probably seen in your own life, when we go through struggle and hardship in our vocations or jobs, we often seriously question whether or not we should continue, right? But what we'll see in our story today is that when God calls us to serve him, he provides a way for us to make make it through even the darkest of nights. When he calls us to do something in particular, he makes a way through. Well, let's turn to our gospel reading for today and see what God's trying to say to each one of us. You can find it on the announcement sheet that you received on the way in, or you can follow along on the screens on either side of me, or pull out your Bible or your Bible app, and feel free to do that. Well, the context is this. We're in the final 40 days of Jesus' life here on this earth. It's the time between the resurrection and the ascension. And John sets up the story by writing this in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's Lake Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples, who we find out one of whom is John, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So what we see is the disciples, or at least seven of them, have gone fishing. They've gone to Galilee as Jesus commanded them to do, but they're not necessarily doing the right thing. Going to Galilee, yes. Going fishing, no. Which brings me to our first point today. You see, in our story today, we see Jesus reminding his disciples of who they are and what they're about. He's reminding them of their purpose. That's our first P for today. Remind them of their purpose. In verses 4 through 6, we read this. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, I wonder, do any of you ever have that experience of deja vu? Ever get that feeling of deja vu? Yeah, I think most people have that at some stage. That feeling like, I feel like this event that just happened has happened sometime before. Well, that might be happening to the disciples in this moment. But the thing is, we can actually pinpoint uh, pinpoint how and when the first experience happened. You see, Luke records a very similar incident in his gospel, Luke chapter 5. It took place about three years earlier at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Perhaps you remember it. In that story, the disciples, well, they're cleaning their nets and they're actually uh, by the shore at that stage. And they've had a hard night of catching nothing. And Jesus, a guy they barely know at this stage, tells them that they should get back in their boats and cast out their nets on the other side. Now, those of you who fish regularly, I'm not one of those people, but my wife's father is, you can probably all relate to the frustration of the disciples after fishing for a long time and catching nothing. But then even worse, they get this unwanted advice from a guy who's a carpenter, not a fisherman, and you know, he means well, but he lacks any knowledge. It's got to be frustrating. Well, reluctantly, they agree. And before they know it, their boat is sinking under the weight of all the fish that they've just caught. 
And then Peter falls down on his knees in a famous moment in front of Jesus. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognizes there is something very powerful about this man right there. Luke continues, for all, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And since that day, for three years, that's what they've been doing. They're not fishing anymore. They've been following him. Now, sure, there are differences with our story today, but it sounds really similar, doesn't it? Right? It sounds really similar. Jesus is making a point by intentionally pointing them back to this miraculous catch three years ago, reminding them of who they really are and what they're really called to do. Because in this moment, they seem to have gone all about that. In fact, they seem a little lost. And so in an effort to do something and perhaps to regain control of their lives, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. As my former professor, Rod Whitaker puts it, they're doing what is right in their own eyes. And look what happens. Nothing. <laughs> they catch no fish, right? Now, hopefully you've learned this lesson already. But one of the central lessons of following Jesus is that apart from Jesus, a disciple can do nothing. Nothing of worth, nothing of value. Apart from Jesus, hear this, a disciple can do nothing. And so it becomes clear that the disciples need to get back to basics and to be reminded of their purpose. Now, one of the most famous sports quotes of all time is this. It's, gentlemen, this is a football. Anyone know who said that? Who? Nope, nope. Anybody anyone else? Vince Lombardi, thank you. Of course it was Vince Lombardi. He's a Green Bay Packers man, right? Of course. Legendary coach of my team, the Green Bay Packers. And you know, one of my favorite memes, and for those of you who don't know what a meme is, welcome to the 21st century. Uh, a meme is a photograph with text on it that you send out to your friends, okay? And usually it's vaguely humorous, right? But one of my favorite memes that I like to send out in the fall when NFL season's on, it's Sunday afternoon, I'm texting with my group of NFL buddies, a little bit of banter going back and forth, and they're being unkind about my beloved Packers, is one that simply has a picture of the Super Bowl trophy on it, and the words... It's called the Lombardi Trophy for a reason, right? Well, in July 1961, when training camp began, Vince Lombardi held up a football and he said to his players, gentlemen, this is a football. You see, the previous season had ended in a heartbreaking loss for the Packers to the Philadelphia Eagles. Any Eagles fans out there? Yeah, yeah, we go, yeah. Don't look so happy. They haven't done so well since. And uh, after blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game, they lost to the Eagles. And when the players came in to start training camp a few months later, they probably expected to immediately begin where they left off. You know, they've done pretty well. So they were going to work on ways to advance their game, maybe learn some fancy new ways to win the championship in a new season. But Lombardi had everyone open up the playbooks and start on page one, learning the fundamentals, going back to blocking and tackling and throwing and catching, etc., etc. 
And this hyper-focus on the fundamentals led to them winning the NFL championship that season, 37 points to nothing against the New York Giants. After that, Lombardi, as you may know, went on to win five NFL championships in seven years. You see, Lombardi brought them back to basics and reminded them of what they were to do, what they were all about. And I think this is what Jesus is doing here. He's reminding them, without even saying it, that they are not called to be catching fish. They are meant to be catching people. It's what disciples do. They're meant to be telling people that the kingdom of God is at hand and that they need to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. This is their football, if you will. This is their purpose. And nothing has changed for followers of Jesus in 2,000 years. Well, secondly, though, we see that Jesus isn't just reminding them of their purpose, but that he has and that he always will provide for their every need. Chapter 21, verse 6. Look at this. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fireplace, a fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. You know, just as when they dropped their nets and chose to follow him three years ago, Jesus is going to provide for them. They've not gone wanting for three years and they will not for the rest of their lives, whether it's temporal or whether it's eternal. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories from one of my favorite books. I know some of you have read this. It's called God's Smuggler. And it's the biography of a Dutch missionary called Brother Andrew, a man who smuggled thousands of Bibles into the former Soviet Union during the Cold War and even risked his life by preaching in some of the churches behind the Iron Curtain. Well, Brother Andrew, before he began all that, was sent to Scotland to train to become a missionary. And he and his fellow students were given uh, a task to complete uh, as part of their training. They were sent out on a two-week mission in which they were given just five pounds, five pounds to spend. But they were also supposed to return with this five pounds as well. And the goal was to put them in a place where they would have to trust God to provide for everything they needed to share the gospel. Well, it came to the end of their time. They had various successes out there sharing the gospel with people. And they had one final special evangelistic event to host. And these penniless missionaries were, made themselves obligated to this one group that they were going to put on a special event, a large tea party for a big group of guests. And Brother Andrew writes this. All of us knew we had no tea, no cake, no bread and butter, and exactly five teacups. Nor did we have money to buy these things. Our last penny had gone to rent the hall. Several came forward and pitched in to help. But there was still something missing. The cake. This was going to be a real test of God's care. So that night, in our evening prayer time, we put the matter before God. Lord, we've got ourselves into a spot. From somewhere we've got to get a cake. Will you help us? The tea time had been announced, had been announced for four o'clock that next afternoon. At three o'clock, the tables were set. 
but still we had no cake. 3.30 came. We put on water to boil. 3.40. 3.45. And then the doorbell rang. All of us together ran to the big front entrance, and there was the mailman. In his hands was a large box. I took the package and carefully unwrapped it. Off came the twine. Off came the brown outside paper. Inside, there was no note, only a large white box. There, in perfect condition, was an enormous, glistening, moist chocolate cake. You know, if there's one thing that followers of Jesus learn, it's that when we obey him, when we do as he asks us to, he provides everything we need. Everything. Think of the first time that Jesus told those disciples to cast their nets over the side of the boat three years previous. Their nets are breaking. Their boat is sinking with fish that they've caught. Think of um, when he feeds the 5,000. He doesn't just feed 5,000 people. There are 12 baskets left over. And now think about this story. He's had them throw out their nets and they've caught 153 large fish when breakfast probably only requires about seven, right? He has provided for them, and he's not just provided in a small way. No, he's provided abundantly, abundantly. More often than not, this is how he works. This has been my own experience, and it's the experience of God's followers over and over again throughout Scripture and throughout history. Well, finally, Jesus reminds them of our third P, not just the power that he has, but also he reminds them, uh, sorry, not just the purpose that he has for them, but finally he reminds them of his power. Yes, he has, they have purpose. Yes, he will provide, but his power is at their disposal if they will trust him. And that, the, this, the points made throughout this story, we see them most obviously is in the unexpected huge catch of fish. But we also see it at the end of the story. Look at chapter 21, uh, verses 12 through 14. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, why do you think it is that none of them dare to ask him who he is? Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because they've already been reminded of exactly who it is that they're sitting with. They are sitting having breakfast with the Lord of all creation, the one through whom the world, the universe itself was made. And in this moment, we see them uh, encountering two very important aspects of God's nature. First of all, the transcendence of God, his awesomeness and his power. And being in that presence of God can be unnerving. But, you know, this same power is available to all those who follow him. J.B. Phillips' paraphrase of Ephesians chapter 1 reads this. How tremendous is the power available to us who believe in God? You see, when we make firm our connection with God, his life and his power flow through us. Second, though, and don't miss this, we also see what's called his imminence. That's his nearness and his tenderness. He prepares breakfast for his disciples, and then he sits down and he eats with them. You see, we have a God who loves us and wants to be close to us in our daily lives. So his power, his provision, and his purpose. Now, what about you? 
As we come to a close, do you know your purpose right here and right now? Or have you forgotten that? Or have you never ever experienced having purpose in your life beyond just the bubble of you? A very self-centered kind of purpose. And do you trust in God to provide all that you will need to fulfill the purpose that he has for you? Or are you trying to do everything in your own strength and in your own way? And do you trust in his power and not your own? You know how quickly we can lose our way when it comes to his purpose, either through the death of a loved one, an unexpected sickness, a conflict with a fellow believer, a financial struggle, maybe marital difficulties, an unanswered prayer. They can all lead us to reevaluate and they can cause us to get off track and to start to try and take control of our lives when God is calling us to follow him and to trust him. You know, I only have to look around here at this congregation, at all of you, and I can see that we have people here who can do a lot of incredible things when they put their mind to it. You guys can do that, and you probably have done that in your life already. But what if God's not calling you to do those things? What if he's not calling you to do those things? Then hear this, those things will be fruitless. They will be of no value in his kingdom, of none. Now, our purpose ultimately is to glorify him in all that we do. See, you were born by God's purpose and for his purpose. And it begins with seeking his will in all things. And it's lived out as we love him and we love others, making disciples as we go. And even when he asks us to live this purpose out in difficult ways or at great cost to ourselves and to our families, we can know that he will empower us to do it and will provide all that we need to make it happen. He has proven this. And ultimately, where has he proven it? He's proven it by dying on the cross and paying for our sin and in rising again that death is defeated and we might have eternal life. The question is, do we believe him and will we put our trust in him? Each day, fishing for people as we live out our purpose as his disciples through our jobs, through our education, our retirement, our communities, our pastimes, even our chores or our to-do lists. Are we living out his purpose for us as his disciples? Who will you reveal the love of God to this week? As you seek to fish for him. Who will you reveal the love of God to this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not a people without purpose. We are not a people without purpose. You have revealed it to us that we are to glorify you. That we are to love you. And that we are to love others and to fish for people. That others might know you and know your love as they repent and believe in you. Lord God, for anyone who has not chosen uh, that purpose in their life so far, would you help them to repent and believe in you and follow you? And for those who have and who perhaps lost their way, maybe something's happened in their life, some traumatic event, something has happened. Would you help them to return to you and to seek to live for you each and every day? Empowered by your spirit to go out into the world and make disciples of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.